0: If you love Push Black's
1: Black History Year, you'll love our newest podcast called Two Minute Black History. In only two minutes, you'll hear little-known stories about our people and reclaim the knowledge we need to take action and advance our community. To move towards the future, you've got to look to the past. Learn the history you didn't get in school. Tune in to Two Minute Black History. Every Tuesday through Friday, right on the Black History Year feed and wherever you listen to podcasts. Take a moment. Close your eyes. Imagine yourself living your vision of Black liberation. However you envision it, immerse yourself in a world where you can feel, taste, touch, and live your idea of liberation. Now, what if I told you there's a way to make that vision a reality? A virtual reality. I'm Jay from Push Black, and you're listening to Black History Year. The rise of technology is fundamentally transforming society as we know it. Advancements in tech touch every aspect of life and, for better or worse, the past two decades have seen rapid innovation such as surgery-assisting robots in medicine, uh, interactive voice response apps in education, and AI-powered facial recognition systems in policing. But it doesn't stop there. Immersive technologies that were once only imagined in science fiction are now giving people the ability to suspend reality and create entire worlds in virtual space. It sounds like something from an Octavia Butler novel, and true to the genre, it raises ethical questions on advanced technologies' social, political, and cultural impact on humanity and Black life. To explore these ideas, we're sitting down with Alton Glass. He is a filmmaker, visionary, entrepreneur, and founder of GRX Immersive Labs, where he leads a team of new media gurus tackling contemporary issues through immersive storytelling. He's also the co-creator of Time Magazine's The March, which is an immersive installation on the 1963 March on Washington. And his latest project, POV, Points of View, is a sci-fi VR series that explores the impact of implicit bias on artificial intelligence and law enforcement practices. He's filling an important gap in this white-dominated field and bringing our stories to life in XR. Alton and I are going to get into the good, the bad, and the future of artificial intelligence and what can come from immersing ourselves in Black virtual realities. But before this enlightening interview, let's immerse ourselves in a history story that could easily pass as a virtual fable. It's about why some people think Black people can fly. Stay tuned.
0: There are traces of this particular tale about our people in movies, books, art, music, and even bedtime stories. But where exactly did the notion that Black people could fly away actually come from? And why has this myth, this virtual reality, persisted for so long? Our apparent ability to fly is traced to a true story about Igbo Landing, a historic site in Georgia where Africans on a slave ship rather than face enslavement drowned their captors and then themselves. White historians considered this occasion a tragic mass suicide, but our people have another interpretation. Instead of the Africans drowning at sea, the story goes that they flew back to Africa some enslaved africans in the americas would say their loved ones flew away to heaven while some would say they flew to freedom the lore was passed down over the ages through oral history each generation with its own version we also see the story in our literature and art including tony morrison's classic novel song of solomon we read about it in children's books and in folk tales. But unlike the white interpretations of the story that end in sadness, our stories always end in freedom and celebration. Our narrative understands that the tale of Igbo Landing elevates acts of rebellion and liberation. The courage our people showed at Igbo Landing continues to inspire. When we control the narrative and choose to honor our ancestors, We use their sacrifices to teach and find joy in our Blackness.
1: Alton Glass, welcome to Black History Year. Appreciate you joining us today. We're going to start this like we do uh, each one of these with the most important question being, uh, what does Black liberation look like to you?
2: For me, it's just, you know, freedom to express yourself in any way you like, you know, whether it's. Your voice, your 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 creativity, your business, um, you know, bring your identity to a space, um, to 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 and be unapologetic about that. You know, not feeling like you have to dim your light um, for anyone else to really show your excellence and who you are.
1: Expression, creativity, really shining as bright as we can. How do you advance that vision through? Uh, the work that you do.
2: Well, um, you know, it took me a while to to, to um, get my sort of founder market fit, as they would call it, right, in uh, an aspect of my business, which is really designed around you know empowering individuals to uh, take you know their unique perspective and their skills and develop transferable skills to move that in new spaces, um, and I do that through. Uh, virtual Reality, Augmented Reality, or what people call XR, uh, Immersive Storytelling, and uh, combine that with creative entrepreneurship so that, you know, even if you don't want to start a business, you know, at least learn how to think like one, we can start to uh, have impact in uh, the areas that we're really passionate about. Um, and, and we do that through uh, GRX Immersive Labs, which is, uh, you know, Immersive Storytelling and um, Education Technology-enabled platform. Uh, for uh, learning. And uh, my background as a storyteller, I really believe in the power of the narrative. And uh, I think the first, first and most important story you ever tell is the story you tell yourself. And I think if you can empower yourself through that means, you know, you can continue to do that with others. And that's what we aim to do.
1: Storytelling, um, something that Black folks have been engaged in for thousands and thousands of years, uh, right? And so storytelling as a way to transmit information, beliefs, values, also just entertainment and connecting with one another. How are you viewing storytelling from a historical standpoint, specifically as it relates to black folks?
2: Ooh, um, I, you know, I, I definitely would lean on um, Oscar Michelle, I mean, you know, as, as one of the early pioneers in um, storytelling uh, for, you know, the black community and being able to get those messages out independently. Um, I really believe and continue to, to, to understand how to craft and control the narrative. Um, and then I really have a passion for um, uh, entrepreneurship and education, you know. So from the Madam C.J. Walkers who, you know, lived by example um, and let that narrative, you know, take its course and then uh, Carter G. Woodson on, on the educational side. Um, of of constantly, you know, refining and honing your craft and, and educating yourself. Uh, so I like to, you know, lean on those, uh, uh individuals in, in Black history and tap into that resilience in my DNA and and bring our own, uh, perspective to that in the current times that we live in.
1: Those some uh, some heavy hitters there for sure. Uh, curious if there's uh, either one or all three that you could dive into a bit in terms of um, you know. That influence. Tell me a bit more about the influence of one or all three of those folks as it relates to, to you and your work.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, growing up and, uh, you know, no discredit to the school or anything I went to. But, you know, we were raised to learn about what they consider the nine word problem where you learn about Martin Luther King. I have a dream. Those are parks. Right. So I didn't really get a chance to get in depth with a lot of these other, um, you know, black uh, pioneers and various, you know, Uh, areas of history until I was much older. Um, And that really started to really, really uh, help shape my narrative and and my thought process. Um, And, you know, I would say Carter G. Woodson, you know, the miseducation of the Negro, uh, that really, really helped me understand, you know, how um, education and storytelling really, really have a a big influence on the way we see ourselves and the way people see us as well. And... um, Also, uh, Booker T. Washington, where, you know, he really believed in um, educating the hands, heart, and the mind of individuals. And and that's really, really what turned a light bulb on for me. Um, And then adding on the the entrepreneurship aspects of understanding how to solve problems of your community and create, you know, opportunities for yourself and your community. Where Madam C.J. Walker, her story was, you know, amazing to see how they were able to do that type of work. And I'm um, that type of wealth by solving those problems and building products for a community or market that people often overlook. Um, so with that, you know, we take that and we say, OK, now, how do we look inward? Right. Sort of an in- entrepreneurship perspective to uh, tap into how they handled and um, leverage the times. And how do we use that that lens today to uh, create and innovate?
1: I can absolutely relate, especially as it um, concerns Carter G. Woodson and Booker T. Washington, and you know, the miseducation of Negro of the Negro was, um, I think, monumental in my life and my understanding of Black history and what's uh, what they want us to believe versus what we should understand, and uh, you know, using that to, uh, to advance ourselves. So I appreciate you you sharing that. So identify for us with the work that you're doing, um, what problem is the community facing that you are looking to solve?
2: Well, I can't pinpoint you know, every community because every community has their own things that they really want to tackle and identify. But I would say from a broader perspective, what we do is uh, through our storytelling, we find, I would say, for example, uh, we did a project called POV Points of View. We showcased it. Tribeca and now we license and we showcase in various different types of institutions. Uh, but that project was about um, artificial intelligence and implicit bias and how uh, artificial intelligence and, and emerging technologies can impact marginalized communities, right? That are already adversely affected. So we wanted to use a narrative and a story that showcases a young gifted black coder uh, named Cassius, about, you know, 21, you went know, to college And he makes a mistake by not necessarily understanding all the ramifications of using certain technologies. And he goes to prison and um, for biometric hacking. And in order to get out uh, in the future, uh, due to mass incarceration, things that we know that currently exist, uh, instead of giving him an ankle bracelet, they let him out on early release under the condition of being assigned to an artificial intelligent weaponized drone. Um, and you see how this new form of like an ankle bracelet uh, sort of probation officer, how they, they learn from each other. This AI is, is being trained behind the scenes in law enforcement, but also how he's learning to um, um, have a uh, relationship with this technology uh, from, a, from a lens where he's understanding it and understanding how to use it and leverage it on, for the benefit of himself and his community. Um, and and we want to you know use those types of projects to bring awareness to you know AI implicit bias law enforcement technologies and um, just overall awareness of you know emerging tech literacy you know civic uh, technologies um, and, and uh, community engagement around these topics to you know bring discourse and conversation because you know one it might spur uh, awareness for the opportunities to participate in the space. Right, which we really believe in, on the you know the, the the job opportunities, entrepreneurship opportunities, education opportunities, and then as well as engaging in your community to make sure that um, you won't be adversely affected by these things. You know, should these new laws pop up or new technologies pop up in your community, like you know you we've seen the robo dogs in New York um, that they're starting to you know showcase. You know, how do we get ahead of those? Things and understand how we either partake in them or how we prevent, you know, being the ones that are, you know, getting the um the the short end of the stick in a sense.
1: And this is done through uh, virtual reality, correct?
2: So that's that's done through uh, initially through virtual reality, but we make sure that the content we create is accessible in in various different formats. So whether it be desktop, mobile, augmented reality, uh, we try to make sure that it has various touch points for. Um, you know, just about anyone to experience the content that we create and the interactive content and um, the way we try to open up. We use that as an as an opener to now thinking about critically. Now, what what what's happening in your community? You know that you can now start to think about and uh, who are you going to be bothering for? So we 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 share what we do. And then we get them to think critically about okay now what what do you see in your community that you can now tackle um, and how can you bring your unique perspective and your DNA to solving this particular problem or issue.
1: And that's interesting because you know one of the things that we uh, really value at Push Black is our ability to engage the community in uh, advancing their own interests right because you all so often have folks coming from outside or approaching things with a top down perspective where it's like, you know, people think they know what's best, but the folks who are closest to the the issues uh likely have the best solutions, uh, more often than not. So it sounds like you're also taking that approach in terms of uh participation, uh both addressing these issues and inviting participation in uh in problem solving. Am I understanding that correctly?
2: That is correct. Yeah, because you know you We often want to give somebody a vision, right, for themselves, but we have to understand, like, what is it that they need and what they want, what they desire, and then how do you empower them with the tools to activate on that?
1: Absolutely. We've identified that for thousands of years. We've been telling stories as humans, as black folks specifically, you know, through word of mouth, through visual, through dance. You mentioned uh, a show with um, film. As far as the technology goes, what makes this particular story you're describing, um, the points of view, why should it be told in AR as opposed to uh, a film or a painting or, you know, dance?
2: I would say two reasons. Um, one, you know, it's, it's a interactive, experiential uh, sort of medium, right? Um, it also introduces uh, various communities to these new emerging technologies. For those who want to get under the hood and learn a bit about that aspect as well, um, and then um, last, um, it it allows us to um, you know give you an opportunity to 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 experience with bringing your body into the frame and being in that environment, right, and actually giving you um, a, a firsthand experience into you know what this near future could not only look like but feel like. And I think that's the the the, the power and, and and what I really love about um immersive and interactive storytelling.
1: And and just for our audience, um, many of which may or may not be familiar with this, could you distinguish between these different technologies? You mentioned immersive, so VR, AR, um, what what are we actually talking about here? If you could sum it up briefly.
2: Yeah, so as a as a whole, you will hear the term XR or extended reality, which is a all-encompassing sort of catchphrase for uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, or mixed reality. And virtual reality is, you know, taking you and putting you inside a, uh environment, 3D-generated 3D, uh, environment, or it could be 360, uh, you know, video, right, where you're seeing all around you, up and down, right? And then you have augmented reality, which is um, assets overlaid over your environment, but you still get to see your current environment. Um, and then you have mixed reality where... Just probably a little bit more closer to like what what you're starting to hear about, like Apple glasses, right? Where you'll be able to have a mix of, of the environment and be able to engage uh, with like a, a touchscreen UI over your world, uh, kind of like Minority Report is sort of a combination between AR and, and, and MR.
1: Would you describe this as just like an addition to the many forms of you know, media consumption we already have, or is this like the future?
2: With the internet, I believe that we, we're moving into a, a sort of a spatial browser environment where, you know, you once were just in your computer, but now you, you, you'll be able to put on eyeglasses that, you know, may not at some point look like, uh, you know, these larger lenses and be able to, you know, see billboards and advertisements and do wayfinding over your glasses um so we will get there at some point um it's just a matter of like you know how how fast would the technology evolve in terms of the size um you know in the form factor for 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 uh, everyday use cases um but I, i feel like you know platforms like apple they're probably only one step away from really being able to give you something that you could you know wear every day and that integrates with uh, the desktop that's in your phone overlaid over your everyday environment.
1: You're obviously uh, deep into this. Uh, Is this a space where black folks have a heavy presence?
2: Um, I think there is, it's, it's, it's grown since I started in it. You know, I got in it about seven, eight years ago. And uh, when I went to my first VR expo, I probably met, you know, a handful of you know, African-Americans, you know, black folks in the business. And it really made me start to do more research on what this industry was and what it could be and where it was going. And then when I started doing research and seeing, you know, the billions of dollars being invested in this business, I was like, you know, where will we be, you know, seven or five or 10 years from now in these spaces? And that's what prompted me to dig deep and start this. And back then it wasn't many, but now I've seen a lot, a lot more, in this space. Uh, now, in in relationship to the overall general market, no, we still have a long way to go um, in that space, but I also believe that, you know, we also know that we bring the cool factor, we bring the it factor, you know, and I don't think it will work without bringing that unique, diverse perspective and uh, ideals that will really take it to the next level. The interesting thing about, you know, immersive media or VR or whatever it is, in that realm, you know, you have to have some form of creative entrepreneurship because you're creating, you're carving out lanes that don't necessarily exist. You're finding ways to make the technology useful or impactful in certain areas, not just creatively, but, you know, um, technically and also um, opportunities to use it in spaces that we may not have thought of. Um, so i think that's the beauty of it and you're starting to see people uh, create things to um sort of fall in those and create those riches in the niches you know um and, and that's what it's going to take um you know building worlds that other people can identify with um and, and building communities around it
1: This world building and this community building aspect is really interesting to me because uh, I'm of the belief that we are currently living in a world that uh, we did not create and therefore the odds are stacked against us. And it seems that with this emerging technology, there's opportunity to have more of a hand in world building, especially, you know, if... It ends up being something where, like, this is the world people primarily exist in this meaning, you know, this immersive world. Um, What are your thoughts on that notion and the opportunity that exists there for Black folks to have a hand in uh, world building and creating a space that um, looks more like uh, a liberated and a, a just space? from the very beginning
2: i definitely agree with you we did build this 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 current ecosystem in which we live in but we just didn't have like you said the the input uh where it was beneficial right for us in the long run but i think that built the infrastructure
1: we, but didn't necessarily delay the, the plans yeah
2: correct yeah so i i feel like you know off the sweat and labor right in 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 the creativity right but we may not have always gotten the the rewards, right? And I think now we have an opportunity to say, hey, you know, how do we approach this differently and how do we design the future, right, through a combination of storytelling, which is, you know, you, you're crafting and you're designing what that is going to look like, what that's going to feel like, and then leveraging that technology to start to build these worlds so that not only will they us uh, of what the future will be like we can experience that and we can bring ourselves into that. but now how do we now make that um, digital manifestation a physical manifestation um, so so that they can they can start to be built together. and I think we, we, we have to do that because if we don't the same thing is going to happen where someone's going to build you're going to be a part of participating in something that's being built for you in the future. That you won't partake in any um, fruit of it, but you'll be a consumer of it, um, and it'll be what someone thinks you want versus what you want.
1: I'm curious though about the um, the cost of entry, both from the creator side and from the uh, just consumer side. I would assume that there is an economic reason, um, in addition to, I'm sure, other reasons why black folks are not necessarily uh, as heavy in it as we probably uh, should be when it comes to setting the foundations for this world.
2: I would say seven, eight years ago when I, fir- when I first started, it was definitely a very high barrier to entry, um, which is one of the reasons that really prompted me to move into the space because, you know, fortunately, I had the resources to at least start to chip away at it coming from, you know, having my own production company and film and television, those resources allow me to really dig in and open up some doors. And, but I would say now it's gotten a lot more cost effective and a lot, um, a lot more touch points, a lot more things you can leverage to participate in this space. And it is a lot more cost effective than it was um, because, you know, now if you're thinking about not just VR, but, um your 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 ecosystem as a whole of of how you tell a story how you create your experience you know and you're thinking about making that cross platform you know you can you can build it one brick at a time until you get, you know until you get to the more uh, hardware intensive or costly aspects of your project but it doesn't have to stop you um now with all the resources and some of the automated processes that they have now you know even down to like you know, when I started 360 video, you had to stitch or edit all of those multiple cameras together and learn how to do everything from scratch. But now they have these really cool, you know, cameras like Insta360, talking about two, 200 hundred, three hundred $300. I've even, you know, uh, bought things off, you know, offer up um, at discounted prices. Um, I even remember working with a young man. He wanted to get into VR, and I said, hey, man, you know, Best Buy has a return policy. It's fourteen days. You know, go, 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 go. Check out the camera. See if you like it. Go shoot something. And you know, if you like it, you you get the money to keep it. If you don't, take it back. And he went and shot a great project. And uh, you know, and then the client ended up paying them to go buy the camera. So you know, it was only five hundred bucks. But you know, you know, so for some that could be a lot of money. For some it can't be. But for him at that time. You know, he he had the resources to get the camera, but he didn't have the resources to keep it until he shot that project and then said, OK, now they're going to pay me to keep this camera. So, you know, he put the effort and the time to learning it and making it happen and uh, an opportunity opened up for him. He didn't let that barrier stop him, you know.
1: So it sounds like uh, at one point there was a high price. Now, I'm sure like the high end stuff is still high end, but there's ways to, to get in the game.
2: Oh, yeah. I remember when I first started, you know, I was trying to get my hands on like to do like a screening and I needed like 10 headsets. And I went on these websites, people who might have bought them or back then they were like raffling them off. So I remember I stumbled upon a young guy, you know, he had people were raffling them off and they were like, you know, I'm not going to necessarily use it, but I'll sell it. You know, I was buying them half price. Some of them I was buying refurbished and I was able to get them you know, make, do my screenings, charge for my screening experiences. So, and then now they have companies that rent the hardware too. So there's an other opportunity to say, okay, if I don't wanna, you know, buy it all, you know, maybe I can, you know, work with a company and I can, you know, get a client to say, hey, I wanna put this project together, showcase this, and here's my rental costs, you know, or go to partners and say, hey, you know, you make this hardware, you know, can you provide some loaners? Um, when I did my first one at American Black Film Festival, we had about, I think, a hundred headsets and that wouldn't have been cost effective for me. But I reached out to Samsung, found out they had a loaner program and they gave us the headsets and we showcased it at American Black Film Festival in Miami with seventy five people synced up in the movie theater watching VR. Who would have imagined we would have been able to do that, you know, in 2016, 2017 right? You know, that was probably, you know, what Probably a hundred thousand dollars for phones back then, right? But there are organizations and companies that you know are resourceful and have these resources. You just gotta you know, you know figure out means of connecting with those organizations because it, it it is opportunities there.
1: That's great. So for folks listening that wanna uh, tap into this technology and bring it to their communities and even bring some of your your works to their communities, there's ways to do that
2: we have inventory and we have inventory partnerships. So if you're like, hey, you know, we, we've partnered with schools and nonprofit organizations, different businesses and say, hey, okay, you want to host a screening or an experience, you know, how many do you want to serve? How many throughput do you want to get? And then we will help you, you know, get those resources from the hardware to showcase it to the hardware to go out and create it. You know, we, we assist with that um, as well. And we also, you know, offer training materials for that as well. So. We try to make it as turnkey as possible so that people don't have the issues that we had when we first started in the
1: business. I'm really curious just around this idea of being immersed in our history. I describe that feeling for you, both as a creator and someone is experiencing what you created.
2: Growing up, I only learned about Martin Luther King, you know, in school and I really only learned about the very basic you know aspects of his life you know and we learn about the same thing pretty much every year right and i had the opportunity to co-create a project with uh, my, my creating partner on that named mia tram she was head of uh, immersive at time magazine or time studios they um did a project called the march and um it was executive produced by uh viola davis and julius tenon's company And a company called Digital Domain where they do like virtual humans like Thor and all those high end like digital humans and visual effects. So I had the opportunity to combine, you know, storytelling, um, some amazing, you know, technologies and visual effects to recreate the 1963 March on Washington, you know, where, you know, over 200,000 people came together, you know, for a purpose. And uh, it was great because working with time, you know, had an opportunity to do a lot of research and really learn about all the nuances and the details of how the march came together. And then really dive into the the details of the time period itself, you know, from scanning the clothes, scanning all the props of that time period and scanning just means, you know, you, you, you take a 3D, uh, you convert all of those real world assets into 3D objects that you can put into the the game engine which was called unreal engine and then we do motion capture which is put the people in the suits with the little dots on the body and then they do all the motions and uh, the animations and walking cycles and then you and then the biggest part of that was working with the king estate and his kids you know to recreate a 3d rendering of him that's photo real and if you ever look up the cover of um the time magazine you google like the time march bts or something like that you'll see the cover of time magazine is a photo of him it looks like a photo but it's actually a 3d rendering of him from inside the virtual reality experience and it's just an incredible uh image of how we were able to you know recreate that to the detail through emerging technologies that we have today and um one thing i loved about it was you had a chance to go through this full experience it's actually an exhibit um, that um, started off at the Desaba Museum in Chicago, which is the oldest African American-owned um, museum here, and um, that's where we wanted to be the birthplace of the project um, launch. And uh, you go through this, you know, um, sound experience. We interview, you know, um, people from the Birmingham, you know, riots and the um, uh, freedom rides that survived that. And you get this, you know, sound experience and you get their voices and they're talking about all the things that they had to go through and deal with and why they pushed through that time period to get to the march um, that brought together over 200,000 people. And then you actually, you know, Paula Davis she does the voiceover and uh, carries you through the experience where you're actually marching with the energy of over two hundred thousand people side by side, regardless of race, you know, et, et, you know, uh, or, or ethnicity or religion, but it's about humanity. And you get that energy. We recorded all of the the, the some of the the, the 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 choir and the music of that time with a live choir, and you get that full energy of people walking by you and that energy of people um, there with all the details of the real march. And then finally at the end, you know, you move throughout the mall uh, where they had the uh, Lincoln Memorial and you get an opportunity to get up close and personal with Dr. King. So for me, growing up watching him and then being able to go inside his experience and then see him up at this podium deliver live without having a dream speech, you know, it was really powerful. And then um, having him look at you and, and, and give you your own call to action and really think about, you know, like now what are you going to do? Uh, with, with your light and your purpose it was really touching and when i was at the exhibit seeing people come out who might have actually either their parents might have attended it or they might have been you know kids or they might have seen it you know broadcast people came out of that experience you know crying and they were reaching out trying to touch him so it just showed you how you know surreal or how your mind really made you feel like you were there
1: wow wow That sounds powerful. Uh, I'm looking forward to being able to experience it uh, at some point. So appreciate your work on that and bringing that to life. You know, it's amazing how this technology is allowing us the ability to uh, tap in with our ancestors in amazing ways. As we're looking at the problems that largely face our community, Um, largely talking about racism, white supremacy, lack of access, economic resources, um, the, the big problems that we're facing, um, uh, how can we be thinking about using this technology to solve either those or just on a micro community or interpersonal level, right? What does this open up a door for in, order, in, in, in terms of us addressing the things that we face on a, um, on a day-to-day? Um, and then what do we need to be careful uh, about when it comes to this technology and some of the risks involved?
2: I would say first in terms of risk, you know, always just understanding how to, you know, do everything in moderation. You know, technology can definitely be a little addictive and take you down different roads and paths that may not be uh, as healthy for you. Um, but I think, you know, understanding the responsibility and the ethics behind using these technologies is first. Um, and then not getting bogged down with the distractions like you talk about white supremacy, and those things like you want to be careful, but we have to put our energy towards. Um, you know, collectively creating and building, right? It's almost like when people say, be aware and understand your competition, but move forward and focus on creating. And I think that, you know, for me growing up and giving so much attention to um, the people who uh, didn't want to see me or, or my community succeed, um, you know, there there are people who are going to do that work. And I think they, they do need to combat that and then there are people that need to be on other fronts um, so that we can sort of divide and conquer in a sense where we're working in various different areas but communicating okay how do we leverage all these these unique things with these things that we're creating designing, building um, and how do they become tools to um, alleviate some of those pain points but I think overall we have to really focus on what we're going to build to that's going to be sustainable. Um, And I think, you know, getting uh, into this space and understanding some of the the things that you want to tackle first and and problems you want to solve and learning about some of the tools will start to inform you on the opportunities in the space. Like I even think like even libraries to me are are great places for transformation and innovation, right? You know, um, those are great spaces to build and, you know, those to me are the future of the, you know, the innovation labs in certain communities, right? You got access to Wi-Fi, you got access to, to knowledge and information, and you got community, and and you know, maybe dropping in some of these tools in your local community, saying, hey, we want to get a few VR headsets, we want to get some 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 phones or some iPads in there, um, you know, building building resources there for people to to to, to do courses and classes and train and create. And um, I think those are good hubs. Um, and then your local, you know, schools and nonprofits coming together to um, plant these seeds and build that community. They have the Octavius Butler lab in, in LA, really dope lab. A lot of people might not know about it, right? Um, but they got 3D printers in there. Um, I mean, they got computers, they got VR, they got green screens. I mean, it's, 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 it's the future,
1: right? Appreciate you mentioning that it's so underrated, you know, uh, mm-hmm. seven, eight years ago when we, we were building Push Black. I remember going to the library to send out, we, we you know, broadcast to hundreds of thousands of folks because I didn't have uh, Internet access where I was at. But I went to the library, made it happen. So incredible things can be done by tapping into your uh, community's resources. So I appreciate you, you sharing that. Alton Glass, thank you for joining us on Black History Year. Thank you. That was Alton Glass, founder of GRX Immersive Labs. To learn more about the innovative work he and his team of creators are doing, or to bring his technology to your community or organization, visit www.grximmersive.com or find him on Instagram at GRX Immersive Labs. At Push Black, we agree with Marcus Garvey when he said, a people without knowledge of their past, history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. We believe telling empowering stories on black life and history can build a more liberated black future. Being here with us lets us know you probably feel like that's important too. You matter. Your choice to be here matters. It lets us know that you value this work. And you make Push Black happen with your contributions at blackhistoryyear.com. Most people do five or ten bucks a month, but really everything makes a difference. Thank you for supporting the work. Black History Year is a production of Push Black, the nation's largest nonprofit black media company. Our team includes Tarek Alani. Brooke Brown, Tasha Taylor, Somalia Rahman, Amber Davis, and Darren Wallace. Producing this episode, we have Sydney Smith and Lynn Webb for Push Black and Ronald Young Jr., who also edits the show. Black History Year's executive producers are Lily Workner and me, Julian Walker. Peace.